Hello, and welcome to the making of a Nat Geo podcast. I'm Chris Albert from National Geographic, and this season, we are diving deep with the artists who make our documentary films and series stand out amongst the rest. In today's episode, we get an inside look at the intricate process of sound mixing. Tony Valanti is a busy man, as shown by his long resume and the fact we get to speak with him about not one, but two of our documentaries, We Feed People and Fauci, and how a sound mixer can go from rock and roll bands to Dr. Anthony Fauci and Jose Andres all over the course of one career. Let's get started. Tony, thank you so much for joining me today. I have a lot of questions I want to ask you about Fauci and We Feed People. But before we dive in, I'd just love to hear a little bit about your career. When did getting into mixing become the path that you knew you were going to choose, et cetera? So I'd love to throw it over to you and just hear a little bit about you. How many hours do you have? <laughs> <laughs> Plenty of time. <laughs> I'll try to keep it brief. But I'm, I started out as a musician. I played drums in a rock and roll band. I was always interested in sound and how records sounded. I'd go out and buy a record, look at the back sleeve and see who engineered it. And I'd buy records based off of, wow, I remember this record sounded really great and this person engineered it. I'd f- discover new bands just by who was uh, producing and engineering these records and really was followed sound careers of engineers. Do you remember one of those records or one of those engineers that really sort of was one of the first that you started following? Well, Bob Clearmountain is uh, a name that comes to mind. He was, you know, I'd hear a great sounding record and I'd go and look and s- see who would, who engineered it, who mixed it. And his name would pop up quite frequently. But yeah, there's so many. But that got me interested in sound. And uh, eventually uh, back when I was looking to get into this career, there weren't really colleges or uh, institutions really that offered this. It was more like a trade, you know, like you just mentored with somebody and kind of learned the trade. There were two schools at the time. One was in San Francisco and one was at Eastman School of Music. And since I lived in Ithaca, New York at the time, Rochester was a lot closer. So I took this recording program that Eastman School of Music offered. And that kind of kick-started the whole thing, got me into it, got me my first job at a recording studio. I did music for years, uh, recording music acts for about 15 years, something like that. Can you tell me some of the acts that you worked with? Well, I started out with a lot of local acts, but worked my way up to eventually I got to record with Donald Fagan of Steely Dan, did Roger Daltrey's solo album. That's incredible. Great time doing the music, but eventually uh, I was married, having my first child, thought maybe I could get into something that's got a little more regular hours, which is kind of funny. <laughs> I was going to say, does that exist in our industry? <laughs> <laughs> At least there's deadlines now with what I do. So things do have an end. But uh, a studio approached me to if I'd be interested in mixing some films, figured I could do that even though I had never done it before. So yeah, I said, I'll, I'll, I'll give it a try and uh, mixed my first film. My daughter is 28, so it was like 28 years ago. What was that film? It was called Welcome to the Dollhouse. Oh, wow. Which uh, actually won the Sundance Film Festival that year. Got me into mixing films from that point on. I kind of transitioned for years. I'd still do a little bit of music and then 
mix that in with the post-production stuff, but eventually the post-production just kind of took over. I've been doing it now for, for lots of years. So I want to ask kind of a macro question, which is obviously in your illustrious career, you've done mixing for fiction and for nonfiction. And I'm curious, does your approach to that differ depending upon whether it's fiction or nonfiction or the subject matter? Yeah. Um, you know, some things are similar and then some things are very different. I mean, we use all the same equipment. It's all Pro Tools based these days, you know, computer based for editing and mixing. But I'd say the, the biggest difference is from a creative standpoint is documentaries can be very challenging with the, you know, lo different location sound. And, you know, a lot of them are recorded kind of guerrilla style. You never quite know what you're going to get. It's not scripted. So, you know, a lot of times to make someone say what you want them to say in a timely manner, there has to be a lot of editing, probably what you're going to do to me <laughs> <laughs> on this podcast, you know, where a scripted film, uh, you know, the editing is much more straightforward. If something doesn't sound good, you can ADR it, you know, they bring the actors in and fix it. A lot of things you can fix easier on a narrative feature than in a documentary. But with that said, people are kind of more forgiving in watching a documentary. They kind of understand that, oh, this is the real world. It sounds a little gnarly because that's what's I, it's, it's the real world. It's what's going on. I try on all of my d documentaries to try to bring some level of cinematic value to it. So it doesn't just sound like a home movie, you know? I think that's the real trick in sound for documentaries is it's a fine line because you can go too far you know, if you put too much sound design and not natural sounds in, then it won't have the emotional impact that a documentary should have. But if you don't jazz it up a little bit, then it's not going to be as interesting. So it's this fine line to find. And there's so many different types of documentaries that that line kind of shifts depending on what, what style. For Fauci and We Feed People, and also want to shout out that you also did the mixing for our film Becoming Cousteau. Love that film. Yeah, it's such a good movie. Liz did such an incredible job. All three of those films had a lot of archive. I guess Becoming Cousteau was almost all archive. Fauci and We Feed People, significant archive mixed with modern day filming that the teams did. What's the balance in your mixing when you're going from archive to something that was just shot going back to archive? How do you approach that? Yeah, we kind of break it into three different food groups. You know, you've got your talking head interviews, much like what we're doing today that are usually with some kind of setup, you know, professional setup and lighting and sound. And they generally sound pretty good. And then You've got your verite kind of sound guy with a microphone and camera following people around and catching all the action in the moment. And then the third is archival, like you said, things that we've inherited uh, from newscasts, old footage, old movies, things like that. So there's those three different categories. And documentaries can be a, a variation and mix of all of those things. Some documentaries are just talking heads. Other ones are, like you mentioned, uh, Cousteau was all archival, except for a very little bit of voiceover that was, was in there. They all present their own little challenges. You know, when I approach the job, we try to uh, figure out the best way to 
wrangle those three different things together. What was sort of your biggest challenge with Fauci as you were putting it together? Well, one challenge is even though there was a lot of what I would call the the interviews, they weren't interviews in a professional setup like in a studio or they were in in his home. And I think his office too, right? Yeah. In his office. Yeah. A lot in his office. That's mostly where it was in his office. So, you you know, you have challenges with whatever that acoustical environment is. A lot of these films that were done during COVID have been interviewed and recorded remotely. They'll send a camera, they'll send a box with a microphone and a whole setup. And the person that's getting interviewed sets that up. And then remotely, someone is adjusting the record levels and adjusting the camera focus and all that kind of stuff. So that presents a whole nother challenge because instead of having a professional sound crew on the site, making sure everything is good, you get a mixed bag sometimes. You know, sometimes things are recorded well, sometimes they, they have some challenges. In most documentaries, but I think in knowing a lot of behind the scenes of Fauci and We Feed People, you know, Dr. Fauci and Jose Andres, they don't do a take two. So yeah, there's that too, yeah. Whatever you get is what you have. Yeah. They're both really great animated characters and speak really well and have interesting sounding voices. That also adds a lot and helps from a sound point of view, helps a lot. I've been doing a number of these podcasts and talking to various talent below the line about collaboration, which is such a key component of any of these projects. But talk specifically about your collaboration with Ron for We Feed People and the producing team and with Janet and John and that team for Fauci. And how does that process work for you? Fauci was interesting because it was two directors. I did most of the pre-mixing remotely from my studio that I have here in my home. Then I joined them for a few days in the studio at Harbor, Harbor Pictures in New York, and we reviewed and, and mixed together. It's always a little more interesting when not just you and one director, but now there's two people that you have to kind of figure out, okay, how do I make both people happy? <laughs> <laughs> That's an interesting dynamic. For the most part, they saw eye to eye on, on most of the stuff. So it was a very enjoyable session. We got a lot done in a short amount of time. With We Feed People, Ron didn't come in for the playback when, again, I did a majority of the mixing remotely and then met with producers and the picture editors in the studio at Harbor. And we did a, a review day and a playback day. Again, that went really well, I'd say. Because Ron wasn't there, uh, the picture editor kind of takes the lead in that spot and kind of drove most of the notes and ideas. Can you talk a little bit about where in the process the music comes in? We did a really fascinating podcast with one of our composers, and obviously the music is an interesting component in the mix as well. And where in the process does that come in for you? It usually comes in uh, on the late side. I really feel for these composers because with a lot of documentaries, there's a lot of music. They have to write so much music in a short amount of time. And, you know, they've been working up the music with the creatives prior to the mix and then finally get it finalized just before the mix. And by the time they mix their music and send it to me for the final mix, I generally have already started the mix without the final music. And mid 
mix, it shows up. And then I, I add in the, the music. I'll start by pre-mixing all the production sound, cleaning up all the noises, and just trying to get everything well-balanced. It's a timing thing. If the music hasn't shown up yet, it's running a little late, I'll jump to the effects and the sound design and start putting that in, and then put the music in last. If the music does show up early on, I prefer to get that in as soon as it shows up. It answers a lot of questions in a mix. If you can get the music in early on, then you, you realize, oh, okay, I didn't have to clean this dialogue up so much. The music's covering a lot of issues. I need to mix the effects this loud because the music is covering them up or you know that kind of thing. I would imagine at this stage in your career, you get approached for a lot of different projects. What was it particularly about Fauci and We Feed People that made those films you wanted to be part of? They're uplifting films. A lot of docs can be about negative and sad subjects. <laughs> People getting taken advantage of and losing money and losing life and all, you know, there's a lot of very uh, intense subject matter in, in documentaries. And these were, to me, very uplifting stories. And that was refreshing and made it enjoyable to work on. Love helping to get those kinds of stories out there. The one thing I like about what I do is I have a very diverse base of clients and people that I work with. You know, right now I'm working on a large Disney feature. And right after this, I'm going into a narrative series. And then after that, another feature. And then there's a, a bunch of docs coming up. I just like the variety. It keeps everything fresh. So you touched on it a little bit, but I wanted to get a little geeky for a minute and talk about all the tools you use, Pro Tools. Is there anything else you can elaborate on there about the equipment that you use? I mean, Pro Tools has been around for a while. New plugins keep coming out all the time that are great tools to new denoising tools that do incredible work compared to what we used to have you know, years ago to make life a lot easier so we can clean up a lot of the problem stuff that we couldn't do years ago. It's all you know, software-based, and I can seamlessly take a little drive the size of a credit card. I can just take that with me and go into the city, into the studio, and plug it in, and my session just opens up seamlessly in the studio in New York. And then I can come back here and bring it back here and work on it. The technology has gotten so great that you can seamlessly move around from place to place. What advice do you give to people who say, wow, what you do sounds so fascinating. I want to try to get into that. I would uh, encourage them if that's their dream, to follow their dream and to get into it. It's a great career. It's uh, very rewarding. And you asked about the collaboration part of it. And that's one of the things I enjoy the most is even though we're remote like we are today, we're still collaborating, communicating. I got off of a spotting session just prior to this for an upcoming job where 10 or 12 of us were on the meeting and we were watching the film and we're making comments and talking about it. Even though everyone was remote, it was seamless and effortless. So I think if someone wants to get into this career, it can be very rewarding from a creative standpoint. And I think the biggest difference between maybe a more, if you, for lack of a better word, a more traditional career is that the curve is a little bit longer. It takes a while to get to where you ultimately want to get to. You can't just 
jump in and all of a sudden be a mixer, for example. You know, it takes years of honing your skills and, you know, learning and, and, and all that. But if you're willing to put in the time, I guess it's kind of like being a musician. You put in the time and practice and uh, you'll ultimately get rewarded. That feels like a perfect note to end on to me because it is very clear how well you honed your skills on Fauci and We Feed People. And I feel like we were lucky to have you as part of the team. It was very nice of you to have me and I appreciate it. Tony, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. To find out more about Fauci and We Feed People, please visit natgeotv.com backslash FYC. I'm Chris Albert, and this has been the making of a Nat Geo podcast. That's a wrap. The making of a Nat Geo podcast is a National Geographic production. Executive producers, Chris Albert, Raquel Bravo, and Jennifer Driscoll. Hosted by Chris Albert. Written and produced by Dave Beezing, Angela Pirelli, and Thomas Green. Michelle Vensel, Production Coordinator, in association with Benstown, McVeigh Media, and Sound That Brands.